Um, we're going to open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, have a couple people come forward. They're going to bring you a Bible, okay? Uh, and please raise your hand. Don't feel weird about this. We do it every week, and here's why we do it. One, um, we put words up on the screen. So some of you are like, ah, what do I need it for? We could put anything on there, and you wouldn't know unless you follow along, okay? So just to hold us accountable, open up your Bibles and read with us. And the second thing is, we want you to read your Bibles outside of this moment. And so the more you can kind of open it up, be exposed together as we go through the Word together. We think it's beneficial, okay? If you don't own a Bible, like you don't have one at home, you do now. Please take this one with you and, uh, and keep it and read it. Or if you have a friend that wants one, please take that and, and pass it along, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter 1, and if you haven't been around, let me give you kind of some background real quick about where we're at. At the start of the book of Ephesians, the first two verses are Paul, the author of the book, kind of giving a greeting. Hey, how's it going? Grace and peace unto you. We covered that. Then we said from verses 3 to verses 14, kind of this initial intro to the book of Ephesians, uh, is this Jewish blessing. Now, um, in week uh, one, when I preached on this, uh, a gentleman that I care about and respect a good deal here, who speaks way better Hebrew than I do, called me out on my pronunciation of the word, which is fair. And I, I was like, good for you, man. Um, and, uh, and so he's actually here. I don't see him, but maybe he's in the, in the hallway. But, um, and so the word is B-E-R-A-K-A-H, right? So I was like, B-E-R-A-K-A-H, that's Barakah. That sounds Barakah, that sounds right. But but that's just a very American reading of that word. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to practice that word together. Um, and so it's not barakah, it's barakah, so okay, barakah, okay, so on three, let's try it, barakah, okay, one, two, three. That's not quite, try it again, okay, so uh, one, let's try it, barakah, barakah, okay, so one, two, three. You got worse, okay, so um, we're not going to do it again, but so um, essentially, this, this baracha is, is this Jewish blessing, this intentional uh, device, uh, oral, um, 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 what's the word when you write stuff, written um, uh, usage by Paul here, literary device that is meant to say, hey, here is this blessing for you, and we're going to talk about the work of God, and as it has blessed and given unto his creation and people so that you would worship him and serve him, right? So for these 12 verses, this is like the intentional thing Paul's doing. We're going to talk about what God's done in light of his work amongst us so that you worship him and serve him. And that's kind of where we're at. Now, we're coming towards the end of this. And what I find here in verse 11 and 12, especially in verse 11, is this kind of slight switch. Because up to this point in this baracha is um, over and over and over, it talks about, God, you've done this. And so then we are kind of the secondary recipients of the work of God. Okay? And so, so God, you have adopted. God, you have predestined. God, you have forgiven. And so that makes us like adopted people, predestined people, and forgiven people secondarily to the work of God. But what's interesting about verse 11 is actually kind of turns and makes the lens you and I. Like what we have received, like we become kind of the main subject of just this one part. And it doesn't stay there long. It's going to move back to God kind of the second half of 11 and into 12 and for the rest uh, of the blessing. But man, it's kind of an interesting thing that he does here. Uh, and so let's jump right into that part of the text. Ephesians 1 verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, we'll talk inheritance in just a moment, but you have to understand, we say, okay, in him this has happened, right? So it starts off in verse 11. In him, everything after it is now conditional upon this part. These first two words, that nothing else that comes after in him is possible for those not in him. That is the one condition, that if this is to come, the inheritance is to be given unto you, you must be in him. Here's what this means, is that initially, right, when God was thinking of the world, and, and, and bear with me in the logistics because I wasn't there, but God could not write your name in his will for two reasons, right? 
God is, is he's doing creation. He's creating people pre-sin, right? Pre-fall. He could not write your name in his will. And, and here's why. Two reasons. One is because the Bible says over and over and over that humanity, you and I, per, because of Genesis 3, because sin has entered the world, because we're sons of Adam, okay, um, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not, not alive, right? And, and if you are a dead person, you cannot receive an inheritance, right? This is just logic, Okay? That if someone tries to pass down something to you, but the day before you happen to die, you receive nothing. Right? Does that make sense? So we were dead in our trespasses and sins, so God could not write your name down when you were dead, so something had to change. You had to be made alive. Okay? And so in Christ, this happens. In Christ, we are made alive, the Bible says. So his life, his death, and his resurrection grant new life to all those who would place faith, confess, repent, and call him Lord and Savior, right? So now what was dead, now made alive, can have its name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life as an inheritor, an heir, okay? So that's one. The second one was, I mean, Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, right? John 3.16, famous verse. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. I mean, Jake, you weren't a son of God, right? Like you, you were not his own, sorry, bro, like not, like everyone, not meant to call you out, everyone in here was not Jesus. Jesus was the only begotten son, I meaning he was the only heir to the throne, the only heir to receive the inheritance. So if someone else were to get it, something else had to happen. Those who were outside the family had to be adopted into the family, okay? And we just learned a few weeks ago, right? That we are predestined what? Unto adoption as sons, as daughters. That we are brought into the family of God. Because, again, you could not be given in this inheritance unless you were in the lineage. And so what does God have to do? He has to take which was outside and bring it inside. This is fantastic news. This is the gospel that says those who are outside and have been brought in, those who weren't sons and daughters are now sons and daughters. Like, this is what Christ did for us. So in Christ, this is the condition. Now, adoption is just this phenomenal reality. I mean, again, with the wait no more thing, like if you can make it to that, even just to learn more about the depths of what Christ has done bringing you into his family. But if you know any good, and especially God being the perfect adoptive parent, loves their adopted kids just like they love their kids that came from their wives' wombs, right? Why? Why? Because now they are, they're like part of the family. They receive everything. The whole thing is given over. They're now part of the, the lineage, right? Inheritance is passed down. I was um, at a restaurant, which I, won't, I don't want to like put them on blast because they're great and we still go there and all this stuff, but there was this gal whom, again, very sweet, like really nice lady, but I was hanging out, and I'm with my two, my two sons, and if you haven't seen Finley and James, you know, um, they're super white, okay? Um, and I'm not, and so that's just obvious. And so um, when I'm out, sometimes there's, there, you know, people will kind of look at me, and they're like, yeah, nanny? It's a big nanny. Um, <laughs> and so um, I'm hanging, this lady walks by, and she's being really sweet, saying hi to the kids, playing, and stuff like that, and she goes, you know, kids are such a blessing, whether they're yours or adopted, <laughs> yeah? And I was like, dang, girl, are savage, okay? Um, and it was funny, because I didn't care. She was so sweet, and she meant nothing by it, you know, um, other than me a total rate, just kidding, no, it's funny. Um, she was just being very sweet and very kind, and I honestly heard that, and I was like, that's just so true. Like, regardless of whether or not they were adopted or they actually came from Verity's womb, which they did, like, they're my kids, and now they receive everything that I can offer them. Right? That all that I possess, well, didn't much, but all that I possess is now theirs. Like they are part of the family. And when I die, they get the whole fortune, right? 2006, 
You know, like, what do I have? Honda Ridgeline. Congratulations, Finley. Um, I mean, they get it all. It's like all can be bestowed, right? So we have been brought into the family. If you are here and you're a Christian, right? You love Jesus. He saved you. You are in Christ. And now you are entitled to this inheritance that you weren't before outside of Jesus. Again, this, this, this thing that's meant to like, elicit this emotional and physical response, this spiritual response to what God has done unto a people that would lead us towards praise, glory of God, and service unto him. I don't know many more truths that should do that for us other than, man, we were outside with no place to go, and he brought us in. That's an incredible story. And not only were we outside, we were outside and mocking him from outside, right? We, we had disdain from him from outside, and yet he still saves and loves his enemy. Man, that's the gospel, right? So that's how he starts off this, this little section. Okay, this is what elicits this joy and this response from us is this work. So in Christ, so in Christ, what? In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. If you're a Christian, if you're, you are in the will, Right? So, so here's the thing, what, what's, an in, what's the inheritance? And that's, right, that's kind of the big question. So what, what do we get, right? Which is a terrible way to think about it. Uh, Christ died for this, but still at the same time, like, what, what do we receive? What is this inheritance? And so um, when you see this word inheritance, you look out all throughout Scripture, it shows up a ton of times. And if we could say it and sum it up in a word, it would be kingdom, okay? Uh, we receive, the inheritance is kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's this kingdom where Jesus reigns in his fullness. Now, look at this. First Peter 1.4 says, to an inheritance, to a kingdom, ready, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, right? So, so listen, the reservation has been made, and it's reserved where? In heaven. So this inheritance is indeed Heaven, this kingdom, this, uh, this coming and awaiting kingdom of heaven that all those in Christ are on a trajectory towards. Like, this is where we're headed. And God's saying, like, man, I've given you this, like, life and life eternal. And we get glimpses of kingdom here. And in fact, the church is meant to be an embodiment of the kingdom amongst this world. But the fullness of realizing the inheritance does not show up today. The fullness of it, okay? That, that comes... In heaven, reserved in heaven, this future kingdom with which Christ is reigned, as it says uh, in the Jesus Jesus books, wow, Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, that all that is sad will be made untrue. Right? I mean, I, I love that vision. Right? That this new reigning kingdom, where there be no sin, no pain, no hardship, peace would be just like reigning. Right? That Anthony said, like God will be our light. We need not the sun. We need not the moon. We need not the stars. Because God will be the light that will reign over this kingdom. Okay? And so, so this is what we long for and we look to. Okay? Now, here is the problem and the issue that I think we often run into with this is that um, we are an impatient people. Okay? Um, we want what we want and we want it now. Okay? We, we don't like to wait for things. We want it when we want it. So um, right now, our house is in a bit of chaos. Okay, um, I'm 
got this back issue. Uh, Verity and the kids have all been sick. There's just snot everywhere in our house. Like, it's just disgusting. Uh, our refrigerator went out, so our house smelled like chicken. I mean, it was just all bad, right? And so we've had to move around sleeping arrangements in hopes that, like, we could somehow keep the kids apart long enough that we can get them both healthy. And so right now, Finn and I are sleeping in one room, uh, and then Verity and Jamesy, our little one, are sleeping in another, right? And so the last few days, uh, Finley and I, um, well, he'll wake me up much earlier than I intend, right? And so about 5.45 rolls around, uh, and he wakes up, and he starts, he starts prodding me. Daddy. Daddy. Daddy! Like that. Like he starts like yelling at me, you know? And I'm like, hey, 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 you know? And I'm like this close to just clocking my three-year-old, you know, like on accident, not because I'm angry, just like, who are you, you know? And so like he's, daddy, he just starts yelling, you know? And I'm like, dude, what, you know? And, the, and he goes, I want a show. I'm like, you what? He's like, I want to watch a show. I'm like, you want to watch a show? It's 5.45 in the morning. You get one show a day, and it's after your rest time, which isn't for 10 hours. You'll get a show in 10 hours, you know? And so what's his response, okay? It's, is it, okay, that makes sense, Dad. Let me go back to bed, right? No, it's, and he falls on the floor. It's as if I ripped his arm off, right? Like he's just, it's the end of the world. It's destruction. And I think honestly, like I look at his story, and I'm like, well, dude, that's, that's me. Like I'm not screaming for a show, right? Because I'm an adult, I'll watch it when I want. But, okay? But, but no, I'm, not, I'm not clamoring for a show. I'm, I'm clamoring for security, Right? When security is a promise in heaven, but it hasn't and never has been a promise this side of heaven. But man, we, we strive for it in every possible way, financially, physically, emotionally. Like, it, like, give me my security. And God's like, no, man, I didn't promise you security. In fact, like, did you pay attention? I said, dude, if you follow me, they're going to hate you. I said, take up your cross, follow me unto death. Like, where did you get security from that? And yet this is kind of what we've built up. And so I think I, I do this all the time. I clamor for things that God said, no, that's coming. Don't worry, the inheritance is there. You will live in that. Like that's on its way, but it's not here yet. Okay? Like, let me do this. If I offered to you guys, and we had one person at the last service, I just thought it'd be funny to just raise his hand anyway. Don't be that person. Um, I like him though. He's a good dude. If, you, if you're listening to this afterwards, man, I love you. Um, if I could promise you one penny today, okay, or a trillion dollars tomorrow, okay? What are you taking, okay? Who's taking the penny? Just don't do it. Dang it. Come on, man. I don't even know you. Now we got to, all right, there's always one, okay. Um, and so no one except for that crazy guy uh, <laughs> uh, is taking the penny, right? And Because and you know tomorrow it's like, I'll just wait a little bit. Now, now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, but Vince, we don't live for only 24 hours, right? So I, I got to wait 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years for this? Is that what you're saying? I'm like, okay, I want you, I want you to, let's, let's let our timeline expand, right, beyond the 100 years that maybe we could wrap our minds around and, and do our best, right, to say, no, eternity goes a little bit longer than that. And I can guarantee you that eternity, which is forever, right, that this 80, 90, 100, whatever you get on this earth is literally less than 20. It is a drop in the bucket, friends. And it is just like you waiting for a trillion tomorrow, but you take the penny today. 
I think what we think is like the offer is like, no, man, what this world will give me be like a trillion today and I get a trillion and one buck tomorrow. I don't know. What awaits us is far greater. And when you strive and you try and grab this early, man, it doesn't go well oftentimes. I remember uh, being in preschool, Miss Scroggins, just, she was a sweet lady, but just really a strong disciplinarian. And at the end of preschool, and this is in the South, right? You can get away with stuff in the South back in the 80s, no problem. And so back in the South, um, she would bake these, bake these cookies every time. Uh, at the end of preschool, you could take cookies home, but I, every day I was like, dude, I'm going to sneak one. Like, today's the day. And so I would, like, crawl in there, try and sneak a cookie, and as soon, like, she would hide behind the wall, jump out with a ruler, whack, right on the hand, and smack me around right the hand, right? And honestly, like, when I began to think about that this week, like when we begin to grab for things, pursue things, chase things that are never promised unto you this side of heaven, I don't think God's like this disciplinarian that's smacking you necessarily, but I think he's looking, he's like, what are you doing, man? Like you chase things that this will do nothing but help lead towards destruction and pain. This will do nothing towards, man, ushering in the kingdom here. This is just for you. I think far too often, man, we try and clamor for the stuff that God has promised. And friends, if you are in Christ, it is coming and we should rejoice and we should just be like so stoked. And then the heaven awaits, but man, it's not here yet. And so we need to learn a bit of patience. And we need to identify with that which God has actually called and said to us and asked of his people instead of something we want to create because we're clamoring for something that is to come but is not yet, okay? That, that, that's my hope, okay? So that's, that's the first part. So in him we have obtained this inheritance, this kingdom, it's coming. We need to be patient. And so let's look at the rest of verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his Will, right? So we have been given this inheritance and then having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the shift now is back. So we had this like little glimmer at the start of 11 where I think maybe we were kind of the main subject and now it's back to God. God is again the main absolute subject here in this blessing. And there's two major kind of themes and implications of this first. The first one is that we are predestined to this reality according to God's purpose, or that word purpose, good pleasure, that he desires, right, and predestines us unto this. Now, um, we dealt with kind of the predestination uh, question and, and somewhat kind of debate uh, a few weeks ago. And so we're not going to delve hugely into it. I just want to say a couple things. Um, there was a good amount of pushback on what we kind of talked about that day. And listen, I hear you, right? Like, like the, the debate around predestination and election and all that stuff, it's literally, and we said it the other day, like it's one of the largest debates in all of Christendom. And I want you to know, and I'll say this again, like we're not trying to win you to reform theology. Like we're just not. Like I want you to, I want to win you towards Christ if you're not in him. And if you are him, I want to win you towards faithful service and obedience and joy that comes from serving him. Like that, that's our desire, okay? And so, man, if you heard anything the other day that was like, look, you got to believe that to be here. Like, like that's not, we don't care, okay? But if you do disagree, do it because you've jumped into the scriptures and you've studied and you've learned and you've poured through it yourself. Not just because, well, I, I think this is the way. Like, we want to be a faithful people unto the text and unto what God has told us, okay? And so, and so I, just, I just wanted to put that out there. Now, um, second part to that is I did want to share this quote um, from this pastor, Tim Keller. Uh, he's a pastor out in New York that we read too much. Um, but let me go ahead and read this quote to you. He says this. 
Think of the doctrine of election as a piece of hard candy. When you first bite it, it hurts. You don't taste anything. In fact, it kind of feels like maybe it's going to actually break your tooth or something. But if you just put the pressure on it, once you bite into it, it's tremendously sweet on the inside. From the outside, it looks like it's going to bust your jaw. But from the inside, it's tremendously sweet. And, and so that, that's where I've kind of come to found this beauty amidst what we kind of talked about a few weeks ago, this beauty in the depths of kind of what this predestined reality looks like, okay? Now, some of you are like, no, man, it's just hard candy. All right, again, just want you to engage. Let's have that conversation. And that's, but that's what we're getting in the text. So you have to wrestle with, this is a major implication of the work of God, is that everything, okay, all of your inheritance, God knew about from the beginning, okay? And he said, Yep, you, okay? And predestined. How that worked out? Listen, I get, there's debate, okay? Second thing, um, there is this, uh, this reality where it starts talking about God's will, right? That all things are worked out by his will. All things worked out, massaged, authored, done, engaged with by the hands and the feet and the mind and the heart of God. Now, this is a tremendous reaching scopeful reality because the implications of this are vast like we could man we could probably hand a mic out and you could all be like man if God is in control of all things that all things since the beginning of time all things he is working and Messiah like he is the author then man we would all have things we could share I'm just going to focus on four this morning four implications of a God who is working all things out from his will okay the first one God is always present and involved Okay, like so I think sometimes there's this feeling or maybe we'll look towards history, right? So maybe we look towards, right, the 1930s, 1940s in Europe. When you begin to think through the Holocaust, you say, well, God, where were you, man? Like, like and, and honestly, before I, before I was a Christian, even into, like, even today, it's, it's, there's wrestling, right? But like, God, where, did you just, were you, did you miss it? Did you not know? No, absolutely not. Like with, the Bible is clear, like he is always present, always involved, always engaged, always working things in this world. And so that, that means a few things now too, okay? Th- that some of you who are experiencing, like you feel like he's distant now. I'm telling you, he's not. Okay, because the, the second reality is that God, God works in your bad. Okay? And that's a harder reality to kind of buy into sometimes, if we're honest. Like, God, are you sure, man? Because life just seems kind of a mess right now. Like, like, and listen, what my wife and I are experiencing in the last like few months with the injuries and the sickness and, and some stuff breaking and all this other crap, like stuff, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it pales in comparison to other stuff that's going on in the world. But man, like I've been, we've been kind of wrestling with this in our home. We're just like, God, I mean, like, can we not catch a break? In the sense of like, man, Finley gets sick, then James gets sick. And then Finley gets sick again. And then every once in a while it jumps up to one of the adults and then we get sick. And then all, you know, something breaks you know, it's just, it's just been this kind of cycle. You're like, man, like, just like, give me a day, right? God's working in this profoundly. Like, I, I, I'm learning stuff in this, like, incapability spot that I'm in right now that, like, I've never learned in my entire life about dependence, about my own prideful heart, about stuff, about how like deep inside of me, like I find my value and worth and what I provide to people. I mean, like deep level stuff is coming up, man. 
And God is intimately engaged in that. And he would, I won't say he couldn't, like God can do whatever, but I think he's choosing to use all that's going on, right, to raise this to the top. A lot of you have been asking, like, what's going on? And so and people keep coming up to connect us. Thank you for asking and stuff. Right now, it's just a herniated disc, crushing my sciatic nerve. That's the deal. I was messing with the doctor the other day. He goes, he said, hey, man, like, what's going on? Like, it's a pretty big herniation. Like, what do you do for work? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, man, is that like a really physically intense job? And I said, you know, man, like, we've just had some really heavy exorcisms recently. Um, <laughs> and, like, just getting after it. And his face, man, he's like, just like, dude, are you free, you know? So we went full paranormal activity on him, and he just, he was freaking out. I was like, no, nah, dude, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just messing with you and all that stuff. But, um, but like life right now, it, it's, it's a mess. And, and listen, like, God, it's, and, I, and I truly mean this. I wouldn't have said this like two months ago. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't, like, don't want to get healed today. Like if that's his prerogative, he wants to do it, like amen, let's do it. But there's just stuff that's churning up that's going to make me a better follower of Jesus. It's going to make me a better husband. It's going to make me a better father. It's going to make me a better friend. It's going to make me a better pastor. God, God is working in your bad. And listen, some of you are experiencing bad on levels that like I say that and you're like, dude, yeah, but I'm living in anxiety and depression. Um, I, I, living, I, I don't have a, a parent figure. I grew up without this. I have friends. Like I get that. There's real death going on. And so listen, I'm not trying to say your issue is my issue. I'm trying to say in the midst of your issue, I guarantee you the scriptures are over and over going to test you. God is with you and he is present and he is working for your good. And I hope that brings some hope this morning. On the other end, God is always working in your good also. And so then when you're li living good, that's not because of you. Because oftentimes when we're like, well, things are good, I must be crushing life. No, 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 no. God's in that too. Like if stuff's going good, praise God. Thank God. Rejoice in God. If stuff's going bad, praise God. Thank God. Rejoice in God. Our response is the same because we have been brought into the family with an eternal inheritance and because God is ever present in the world today because he is working all things for himself. Okay. This is great news for us. The last, the last point, God is not more present and not more involved based on you. Okay? Like, it, it, it's not because, Rachel, like, you've been crushing life right now, so he's like, I'm going to love you more, right? And, and it's not because, Rico, you've just been doing a terrible job, and I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying, you know, as illustration. And so, Rico, you've been doing a terrible job, so let me back off. God is the relentless, pursuing lion of Judah. He comes after in love and in care and in pursuit of redeeming and restoring the world. And so it is not because, listen, if you didn't get saved because you brought stuff to the table, he's not sanctifying you because you brought stuff to the table. He's not continuing to work because all of a sudden now you've proved yourself. God is active and engaged with you because of him, not because of you. And that's like, for me, that is a moment. Because, man, like, I don't have a great resume to present of, like, God, you should just keep blessing. And that inheritance that you've given, like, now I, I've earned that now. No, no, no. It is, is because of the grace and mercy and love of God that I've been adopted in, made an heir and inheritor with Christ. So, listen, wherever you're at, some of you got good stuff going on, some of you got bad stuff, hard stuff, stuff that, you, like, stuff happened to you, stuff that you did to yourself. Right, you brought on yourself. I, I don't know. 
God is present and wants to do and work in it. Please let him, okay? And so, so that's the truth. That's God. So all of this is going on. God has got this promised eternal inheritance, but he's present working now. So he's got both forever and now covered in the Christian life. And so we kind of transition here towards, uh, towards the end. Verse 12. Um, so that we, so okay, all of this. Now this is not just verse 11, so that, but all of the first part of Ephesians builds up to this moment. So that, all of the things that God has done, he's adopted you in, he's predestined you, he's forgiven you, he's redeemed you, he's an all, he's cleansed you. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Why has this all happened? that we would praise God. That the world would see the work he's done in our lives, in creation, and through us, and say, all glory to him. Now, John Piper, a former pastor now up in um, Minnesota, he has this great line. He says, uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I think it's a great line. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. In other words, man, when we keep chasing and grabbing the inheritance before it's time, and it speaks to a dissatisfaction into the perfection and satisfaction that Christ says he is in our lives. When we are satisfied in him, man, like he receives all glory, because he knows as the world watches, and they, don't, they, don't, they seem to not chase after wealth for wealth's sake. Status for status sake, power for power's sake. They don't chase after relationships for relationships, like sex for sex. They don't do that. No, they chase after this one guy who has fulfilled every need, who is their satisfaction. Man, that guy must be really good. He must be splendid. He must be more than I can comprehend and think. So all this, he has done all this so that we would give him praise. So as we get to, you know, saying, you know, Anthony is ripping on y'all about just kind of, you know, lights are on and so let's not let anybody know I love Jesus type stuff. Um, we get to sing some songs, man. And we get to respond in kind to God and say, all right, well then if this is true, then this is the way I'm going to live my life. And so that's kind of where we go here. The gospel part of this, the go- we'll have one gospel question, then we move to application here. The gospel question is whose family are you in? Because there's two options for every human being in this world. It's either the family of Adam, right? For Genesis 3, right? Created man, disobeyed, sin into the world, sin through him unto all humanity. So you're either in the family of Adam, still underneath the weight and penalty of sin, which is death, or you've been brought into the family of God through the bridge that is Christ. And so the question, for those of you here and you're not a Christian, and first of all, thanks for being here. I know it's sometimes it's weird to come to church and, um, and to ask questions or maybe a friend drag you. I don't know what's the reason why you came. But I, I lived that life for a long time. I lived outside of the family of God. I had tons of questions, tons of doubts, tons of criticisms. And the reality is, is that more and more, when I began to learn about this Jesus, man, I started taking steps across that bridge. And then eventually he just said, enough's enough, and yanked me across that sucker and brought me into the family of God. And so if that's your story, I, I, I just, I'm praying for... Ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that would feel and know that God is pursuing and desires you. And then if you're here, and listen, and you're a Christian, right? Like, if, if, if you're like, no, dude, I'm a family of God all day. 
right? Like, I'm, I'm in Jesus. I'm not in Adam. I'm in Jesus. Praise God. But that means some things, okay? There's some application here then for us, okay? That, that, listen, it's not recommendation. It's how we now live our life in light of inheritance, I think too often we've kind of gotten this rap, and maybe that was just a lot of the teaching for a long time of like, hey, so heaven's coming, so just hunker down and retreat until it comes, right? When, when, no, God's like, no, listen, heaven's coming, so lay it all down and engage, because you know you got this coming, and it'll be here in the blink of an eye. And so the question becomes, how do you, Christian, handle your inheritance? And I think, again, there's two options. I think you either live it in proud, wasteful entitlement, okay, or humble, faithful stewardship, okay. This, this entitlement piece is, I don't know, just a few years ago, there was a, a kid, and he was driving a car, and uh, blood alcohol level was like three, four times the normal limit, driving down the lane, and he, and he crashed into a couple vehicles, and I believe like four or five people died, okay. And, and his defense attorney took up the defense of a thing called affluenza. Does anyone remember this? Affluenza was his defense. The defense was this kid had been so spoiled that he could not discern right from wrong. That he had been given so much stuff that everything he always wanted, he always got at the drop of a dime. And because that, he could not fathom that what he was doing was in error or had negative consequences because he hadn't experienced one in his life. Now, this is not a statement on whether or not that's a real thing. Like, y'all can go and do your own thing. It worked. He got free, put on probation, okay? Then he got caught on video like a month later drinking alcohol again on probation. And then they, him and his mom fled to Mexico and then they caught him, okay? And now he's in prison, so... Happy ending. And so, um, but, but, but I think in that reality, I think there's something that's true in that. Like, I, I think we've become so inoculated by stuff, by things that are not promised this side of heaven, that we just become kind of proud and entitled. Well, I've got our stuff over here. I've, I've got my, my things, so let me just keep safe my stuff Okay? It doesn't matter that, that things are perishing here. We need, we need this. Okay? When this is not promised. There's some stuff, certainly, that, that's promised. Right? That we're like, no, man, we're going to hold fast to that. But there's other stuff where it's like, no, like God never said that. And yet, man, we just buy into a hook, line, and sinker. Like, this is what life's got to look like. And we become proud and entitled instead of like our Savior who never lived in pride or entitlement. Imagine if Jesus, our Savior, lived in pride and entitlement. You think he ever would have come to this earth? He was the sovereign, reigning king of the universe that spoke the earth into existence. He had everything at his fingertips. He could speak things into existence. He was the ruler of the world, entitled literally, like actually entitled to everything. And if he lived in that instead of humble, Submission to the will of the Father. Humble stewardship of the inheritance with which he was to receive. You and I wouldn't be here. Or at least we shouldn't, we shouldn't be here because why worship someone and something if you couldn't? Jesus opens up that gate to himself. So there's a few things here that I think it means for the church 
If you're here and you're a Christian, you're in Christ. There's a few things that I think humble, faithful stewardship of this inheritance looks like. The first one is sacrifice. Mark 10, 21 says this, Jesus, and this is talking to kind of the, this, this rich young guy. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me, right? Now, hear me, I, let's make this disclaimer. This is not a, Hey, because if we're all honest, like everyone in this room is, is pretty rich in the span, of, in the grand scheme of things. So this is not a everyone leave, literally sell everything and literally give it all to the poor. If God's calling you to do that, you better listen. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God was calling this guy out, judging his heart that he had made an idol of this thing he tried to possess before it was time. You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, you will be wealthy beyond imagination. And I don't mean that in that you'll have a lot of money in your bank account type of stuff. Okay. And yet we clamor for it now when, again, the Bible never promised you riches. In fact, it's pretty much just the opposite. It's called for kind of reckless abandon and generosity. Don't be foolish, care for your family, all that kind of stuff. Your first ministry is at home. I believe all of that. But generosity is to the rule of the day through the lens of sacrifice in light of the inheritance that is to come. The second one, suffering. We don't like talking about this one too much. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with him. So man, this, this is a, a tough reality, right? So you're heirs now with Christ. You're brothers of Christ. We're underneath now God's family, his beacon. He will pass down the kingdom and it all, the inheritance will be unto you. And he says, okay, you want to walk in that? Listen, now you're partners, you're co-heirs of Christ. Then you're going to be co-heirs in his suffering in every way he lived his life. But again, we, we clamor for a security that is not promised when it's just the opposite. I think faithful stewardship, humble faithful stewardship looks like the life of Christ, which was not one of just, hey man, life is easy. It was one of hardship. It doesn't mandate hardship in your life but it does mean that when it comes, it should not be unexpected and there's a way that we can live faithfully in it in light of the inheritance to come, the presence of God now and the family that we've been given. And then the last one is service. Matthew 25, it's the text that I shared in the beginning where he's saying like the, the kingdom, right? You'll be inheritors of the kingdom that will come. He follows that line in his second coming, you'll receive the kingdom, those on my right, and he follows it with these verses in Matthew 25, 35 through 40. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. So I think the last characteristic of faithful stewardship of the inheritance with which we are to receive is service. That we pour out in sacrifice, okay? We live in this reality that we don't need to grab before it's time. We live in patience. We expect that suffering might be a reality instead of constantly fleeing from it, that God is at work in the midst of all of it, and then, man, do we serve, church? Do we care for the least of these? Do we go to the broken? Do we help lift them up? 
We don't just throw money, right? We come alongside, we get into the mess, we do that which our Savior has done, which is leave our safety and our comfort and our wealth and our holy little huddles, right? And we go into the neighborhood, we engage, and we live life with those who would be deemed the least of these. Are we doing that? I don't want to judge the whole church, like macro level. I don't, I don't want to say this is what the capital C church around the world's doing, but I, I ask this question of us at Redemption, like me as one of the pastors here, our staff, like are we doing this? Like do we go to the least of these in our town and say we are with you and we will clothe you and we will feed you and we'll equip you and we'll train you and we'll be with you in the mess because that's what we do. Not because it's just this mandated thing. We do it because of the gospel, because we have been saved, because he's present today working things out and we know that coming real soon is a forever reality where no pain, no tear, no hardship will ever exist again. That's the only way, man, like living in that reality of God working now and his future inheritance that we can live in. But I think, man, we can lay it all down. That we can say, all right, man, like, great, I, I, don't, I don't need this. And my goal is then I want to be more like Jesus this side of heaven. So God, you're going to work in my bad. You're going to work all things. You're present now. God, let me go and help and serve and bless those who are hurting in our world. Sometimes it's not just as overt as what's going on in Florida, right? Sometimes it's, you know, it, it's just your friend, it's your roommate, it's your wife, it's your son, it's your daughter, it's your boss, it's your coworker. And sometimes you don't even know it because, man, we just don't have eyes often to see. Man, we open up our eyes and start living as the church is called to live because you've only got a little time until glory. Amen? Let's pray.